Taiwan is glad to be invited to the United States Summit for Democracy. Natalie talks to French ally Senator Elaine Richard about why he's promoting French-Taiwan ties. Stash Butler speaks with Stanford political scientist Karis Templeman and NTU professor Tao Yifen about tensions in U.S.-China ties. And finally, in Hashtag Taiwan, I'm going to tell you how cross-strait tensions contributed to a high-profile divorce. This is Taiwan Insider. working more and more closely with fellow democracies these days. And it was very happy to receive an invitation from the United States to attend the Summit for Democracy. Foreign Minister Joseph Wu is all smiles as he arrives at Taiwan's legislature. And with good reason, Taiwan has been officially invited to U.S. President Joe Biden's Democracy Summit in December. The summit is set to take place from December the 9th to 10th in an online format with a total of 110 countries invited, including Taiwan, Japan and the UK. Topics on the agenda include facing up to authoritarianism, fighting corruption and promoting respect for human rights. Digital Minister Audrey Tang and Taiwan's US representative Xiaobi Kim will represent Taiwan at the summit. Foreign Minister Joseph Wu says that the summit invitation is a testament to Taiwan's achievements as a democracy. He says Tang and Xiao will tell the United States and the world how Taiwan is defending its democracy from external threats. President Tsai won't be attending the summit. U.S.-China expert Bonnie Glazer says that's probably because Washington wants to avoid crossing Beijing's red lines on Taiwan. Opposition lawmaker Johnny Jiang says that there are a lot of political factors at play. He says authorities are struggling to manage cross-strait tensions while developing closer ties with the United States. The U.S. summit invitation comes as Taiwan plans an international event of its own. Ten lawmakers from Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia are set to visit Taiwan next month for the 2021 Open Parliament Forum. With both events taking place in early December, it's set to be a busy month for Taiwan government representatives. Now, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with one of our most important friends in France who recently led a French Senate delegation to Taiwan despite Chinese opposition. French Senator Alain Richard. Mr. Alain Richard is the chairman of the French Senate's Taiwan Friendship Group. He led a Senate delegation to Taiwan in October despite opposition from China. And President Tsai Ing-wen awarded him with a national medal for his promotion of French-Taiwan ties. He shares why it was important for him to come to Taiwan. Well, uh, there are several reasons, but we, uh, and we are, num- we are quite a number in, in French, French politics, considered Taiwan as having vast achievements in terms of success in economy. And, uh, of course, it's a representation of democracy. And we wanted to, when we're back, uh, to explain to our colleagues and to the French public how important it is to uh, support Taiwan and to keep it uh, in peace. Well, we appreciate that. There has been talk of, you know, Taiwan changing the names of its representative offices since uh, Lithuania is welcoming a Taiwanese representative office. Do you think that Taiwan should change its name in in France? It currently is called the Taipei Representative Office. Should we change it to Taiwan Representative Office? You know, this situation has lasted for 50 years. If Taiwan wants 
to uh, use the term Taiwan. I, I said that personally, I, ca I can only approve of that because when a group of persons, when a collectivity, a community has chosen its own name, it's always something you know, negative uh, or, or threatening to impose on it another name. Mm. We have this situation, for instance, uh, with the, the Kurds in Turkey, mm -hmm. uh, who are you know, uh, deprived of their own of their their own name. So that was my comment. Now, if Taiwanese authorities want to make this move, this will be an issue with our diplomacies in, in Germany. In, uh, in UK, uh, in Italy, and the rest. Uh, and we will certainly have a, a discussion and a tentative agreement between ourselves to say, when we, when do we accept this change? And it will be a fuss with, with China. But everyone is seeing the real situation. Taiwan is not a state, but in actual fact, has all the capacities and all the instruments of a complete state. And of course, uh, the uh, PRC uh, knows that better than even us. So do you think Taiwan should try to change its name or do you think we should just well, keep it well, as it's Taipei? Not, it's, it's not of my authority to give them an advice <laughs> or a suggestion. I'm simply give, explaining the frame to you. Mm. So you, do you think it would be acceptable but to change the I, name? I would like I would like to make a, a wider comment. Most of our countries in Europe, I'm speaking about Europe, are already uh, seeing the change of the Chinese international reality. Mm -hmm. uh, it was perfectly coherent and logical for our countries to. Uh, try to be cooperative with China as long as this country was opening its relationships uh, on many fields with democratic countries and was not trying to impose pressure on so many issues. The change has been slow and, and gradual, but now on many, many issues and many, many, many aspects of international life, whether it be economic, scientific, and academic, and of course, political and, and security issues. They are wanting and they are showing their decision to appear as well. The common, uh, common term in, in, in English is assertive, but on many issues, it's threatening. Mm -hmm. What I see from many reports on many contacts, doing business long-term with serious commitments with China is becoming more perilous. As you know, the chairman of the Taiwan Friendship Group, where do you think Taiwan and France ties should be going? Should, Taiwan, should France be showing more support for Taiwan as it faces such a big threat from China? What do you want to see in French-Taiwan ties? What is more important from our point of view is first, practical cooperation with many links, many concrete and human relations between Taiwanese people and French people. 
accomplishing in common some progress either in industry or in health our preference is to make more familiar more frequent the discussions the visits between uh, Taiwanese and French authorities and to have wide consultation about the security issues in the whole area of what we call Indo-Pacific, because mm -hmm. this implies many other powers between which we have an interest to be transparent. The U.S.-China relationship right now is very tense. So Stash Butler spoke with Stanford scholar Karis Templeman and NTU professor Tao Yifen to find out if the two countries right now are waging a cold war. It's unlike the cold war between the two superpowers uh, in last century because China is much stronger than the former Soviet Union and the economic interdependence is much deeper in this globalization era. So I think it's impossible to have a cold war between two close blocks as we had last century. I am hesitant to use that term uh, because I think it obscures as much as it clarifies. Um, there's a big difference between the Cold War that the U.S. and the rest of the Western world had with the Soviet Union uh, and our confrontation with China today, and that is trade. China is still the U.S.'s largest trading partner. That was never the case in our relationship with the Soviet Union. China is also the largest trading partner of all the major economies in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, and so uh, by calling it Cold War 2.0, that kind of focuses on the military balance and the kind of military issues at the expense of this whole other arena of competition where, frankly, the U.S. is not doing very well relative to our position in the past and China's advantage has been growing. And so I don't like that term simply because it, it, it obscures what will be an important part of the competition going forward. Now, the CCP recently passed a resolution cementing Xi Jinping's place in the party's history. What does that mean for Taiwan and, and for the rest of the Asia-Pacific region going forward? Yeah, well, it means unless Xi Jinping drops dead tomorrow, we're going to have to deal with him for a while. And so it's helpful to uh, develop as good an understanding of uh, who he is, what he values, and especially who advises him and how he makes decisions. Um, I've been struck by how little we know relative to previous leaders about Xi Jinping uh, and how little we know, especially about the policymaking process within Zhongnanhai. So I hope there's a lot of focus over the next few years on getting better intelligence, uh, either open source or classified, about what Xi Jinping wants, what he worries about, how he goes about his day, what are the sources of information he's getting. Um, to give you a, just a concrete example of how important this is, we don't know whether his what I would call his failing Taiwan policy is a result of uh, him simply not knowing that it's failing or simply not caring that it's failing. And we don't really know whether he himself is making all the decisions on Taiwan or whether it hasn't risen to his level. Uh, and so the, the uncertainty there means that uh, people who have all of their kind of preconceived notions about what the CCP is and what Xi Jinping is kind of fill in all the, the, the vacuum, fill in the blank space with their own notions. And so we get very, very divergent predictions about what Xi Jinping will do over the next five years uh, from people looking at exactly the same data points. We need a better understanding of Xi Jinping. 
as history shows, these kind of totalitarian regimes are quite irrational. They will become a big threat to neighboring countries before they destroyed themselves. So I think this resolution is really bad for Asia, and we all are quite worried. Taiwan is a nation of pet lovers. President Tsai Ing-wen herself has three dogs and two cats. But Taiwanese landlords aren't always so accepting of tenants' furry friends, leaving pet owners in a tight spot. Pets have become more and more popular in Taiwan. They're a lovable member of many families, but some of Taiwan's laws still don't take this into account. Miss Lee moved into her apartment this year, and her landlord agreed to let her dog live with her. But after signing the lease, the apartment complex's management proposed a no-pet policy. Miss Lee is worried that if they pass the policy, she won't be able to keep her dog. Animal protection groups and lawmakers say there are too many pet owners with the same dilemma. They say the no-pets policy is unconstitutional as it restricts people's freedom and rights. They said rules for managing pets should be put forward instead of banning pets in the complex. Several lawmakers promised to support animal protection groups and to vie for a quick amendment to the law so that pets will be welcome in their homes. Next up, Leslie Liao brings you a story straight from the tabloid headlines in Hashtag Taiwan. Taiwan, China, China, Taiwan. Now, I'm sure you've heard a lot about these two places recently in the news, and I'm sure you've heard a lot about them from us as well. Right now, the two have a very, very tense relationship because of political differences. But they also share a lot culturally, so beneath the rough, borderline hostile exterior, there's potential for deep and meaningful relationships. But what happens when political tensions grow so immense they destroy that potential? Politics is a powerful thing, man. It can drive wedges between family and friends, and it's literally what keeps countries apart. You might think that there are bonds that can withstand political differences, like marriage, but this week, I'm going to share a story that's been circulating on the internet that runs counter to that thinking. This is Taiwanese celebrity Barbie Su, also known as Da S. You might know her as the older sister of Di Xu, another Taiwanese celebrity who was attacked by Chinese internet users for calling Taiwan's Olympians national athletes. This week, Barbie Su filed for divorce from her Chinese husband, Wang Xiaofei. If this sounds familiar to you, then that's because this isn't the first time Su said she was divorcing Wang. Reports of their divorce prior to this one came in June, but ultimately nothing came of those. Su's marital problems pop up so often in the media that a lot of online users, in response to this story, said things like, here we go again, and isn't that old news? But this time, the divorce is a sure thing. It's done. Su and Wang met in 2011, and according to them, they got married 49 days after meeting each other. They were only 20 days into their relationship and had only gone on four dates with each other. Back then, Taiwan and China shared much warmer relations under Taiwanese President Ma Ying-jeou. However, fast forward to today and we can see many media outlets reporting that Wang had a habit of saying things about Taiwan on Chinese social media that rubbed Su the wrong way, and that's one of the main reasons why they split up. And after they got divorced, many Chinese internet users commended Wang for choosing country over wife, which, 
That's a lot of patriotism, man. Wang is an entrepreneur, and he was based in Beijing. Su, on the other hand, stayed mostly in Taiwan. Given Taiwan's strict quarantine measures, it was difficult for Wang and Su to be with each other, so I'm guessing that the physical distance maybe had something to do with the divorce. But either way, it's gotta be difficult hearing the person you're married to trash talk your home country. Like, doesn't that betray, if anything, a subconscious disdain for who you are in your partner? It can't be easy living with that. However, with something as complex as a marriage, I highly doubt that there was one end-all be-all reason for ending it. Maybe if we removed politics from the equation, Wang and Su could avoid divorce, but I personally believe that's pretty naive. Su and Wang were married for a decade. They have two kids together and they have to figure out how to split their assets, which are worth 34 million US dollars. More than anything though, I feel bad for the kids, and I wish that family the best. I really do. And I kind of wish I never said these words. So far, China and Taiwan have managed to politicize fruits, celebrities, and now shopping. What's next? Up next, let's take a look at the other stories that were on our radar this week. Chinese authorities have slapped two subsidiaries of the Taiwan-based Far Eastern Group with 14 million U.S. dollars worth of fines. Beijing says the fines are for violations at the Far Eastern New Century and Asia Cements factories in China. However, Beijing also suggested that the fine could have a political motive, as the company has donated funds to politicians and political parties on both sides of Taiwan's political divide. Taiwan has opened a de facto embassy in the Lithuanian capital Vilnius called the Taiwanese Representative Office in Lithuania. The foreign ministry says that the opening of this representative office will, quote, charter a new and promising course for bilateral relations between Taiwan and Lithuania. China has responded by downgrading its diplomatic ties with the Baltic country. Premier Su Deng-chang has praised the new Taipei police force for a record-breaking drug bust it made last month. Officers seized almost half a ton of high-purity heroin smuggled inside a shipment of lumber from Thailand. But the job isn't completely done. While seven members of the drug ring involved are behind bars, the ring leader escaped to China, and Chinese cooperation in the case is far from certain given the icy state of cross-strait relations. Well, you guys, it is Thanksgiving today, it and is. so our topic for the day is what are you thankful for? Um, Leslie! Uh, yeah, so I thought about it. There's a lot to be thankful for, and I just, you know what? I'm just thankful for being here, man. <laughs> you know, here, uh, here. Right. Like Taiwan here. Just in an Everybody. existential sense, right. in a physical sense, <laughs> wow. in a figurative, literal sense. That's like deep. I'm just that's very deep. Happy to be here. I wake up and I'm thinking, you know what, life's pretty good, so I'm like thankful for everything. That's, oh, that's nice. I'll have to keep that in mind, yeah. huh? Uh, well I'm I'm that. yeah, I've gone a kind of fundamental as well. I'm happy for I'm thankful for my friends and my family. Oh, that's uh, nice. I You're welcome, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. we're included in that, right? Yeah, I think they're there for me, and that's important. That's wonderful. And I am thankful for Stash and Leslie. Oh, hey, all right. You all guys right. are great co-hosts. You guys are so much fun to work with. <laughs> And you guys produce a lot of great content too. Oh, I think yeah. now, now yeah, it's like really around, good. I'm a selfish one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad for this. And it's all about me. It's all about me. Anyways, uh, I want to thank you as well for tuning in to Taiwan Insider. We hope that you'll support us, um, you know, on social media. So um, for Taiwan Insider, I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Stash Butler. You can follow us on Facebook and YouTube. Yes, also subscribe and leave a comment below. Let us know what you think of our shows. Don't, We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to tweet at us. Our handle is Taiwan Insider. Happy <laughs> Thanksgiving, you guys, uh, and see you next week. Bye.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. More and more countries in Europe are getting more proactive about engaging Taiwan. One of the men leading the way in France is Senator Alain Weichat. He is the chairman of the French Senate's Taiwan Friendship Group. And despite opposition from China, he brought a group of French senators to visit Taiwan last month. President Tsai Ing-wen gave him a national medal for his promotion of French-Taiwan ties. Now he tells me how French and European attitudes towards China have been changing. Most of our countries in Europe, I'm speaking about Europe, are going and are already seeing the change of Chinese international reality. It was perfectly coherent and logical for our countries to try to be cooperative with China as long as this country was opening its relationships uh, on many fields with democratic countries and was not trying to impose pressure on so many issues. The change has been slow and, and gradual, but now on many, many issues and many, many, many aspects of international life, whether it be economic, scientific, and academic, and of course, political and security issues. They are wanting and they are showing their uh, decision to appear as a, well, the common, uh, common term in, in, in English is assertive, but on many issues, it's threatening. And what I see from many reports or many contacts is that also in economy, doing business long-term with serious commitments with China is becoming more perilous. And the recent episode about the freeing of uh, this person of the uh, headquarters of Huawei Mm-hmm. With the same day, the freeing of two people, two Canadians, Canadians who had been condemned in court, it is a plain message of the Chinese authority. We accept the use of the instrument of taking hostages. So it's for Europeans. It's the illustration of a change of uh, landscape. And that's why the issues of security and trying to prevent a Chinese danger in, in uh, strategic issues is coming to the, the right. So as the EU begins to see the, let's say, uh, threat of China, do you think that the EU is becoming more supportive of Taiwan? Well, it's just, as everything in Europe, in the EU, it's a slow movement. And quite a number of our friends, our colleagues in different countries of, of Europe have, you know, different interests and specific visions of the international issues. That has always been a problem since uh, last uh, 30 years when we decided to have a common international policy, foreign policy. So we have, in fact, bits, uh, elements of a common foreign policy, but not a 
comprehensive one. And of course, such a change in vision and, and the decisions to be taken in relationship with, uh, with China need time and accompanied by many, many disputes mm. among ourselves. And the ones who consider basically China as a market or the ones who consider China as an interesting example of non-democratic or non-liberal country when they have in their own domestic policy very non-liberal attitudes. That makes you know, a, a range of differences among Europeans. But my personal uh, wish is that Europe should take really conscience of China as an um, adversary on many fields. And the fact that, that Chinese authority take many opportunities to see, to, to explain to the whole world that democracy is a weak system and doesn't help countries to accomplish their, 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 their wills is a fairly disquieting, disturbing signal. That is French Senator Alain Richard, who is the chairman of the French Senate's Taiwan Friendship Group speaking to me about changing EU perceptions and attitudes towards China. Now, Alain Richard is also a former defense minister of France. And next, I talked to him about if France and the EU should help deter China from attacking Taiwan. The Sound of the Amis Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. You're listening to Taiwan Today, and I am Natalie So. The attitudes of European Union countries are changing towards China. And it's no secret that China has been sending warplanes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone at alarming rates. Now, today I speak with French Senator Alain Huisha, who is the chairman of the French Senate's Taiwan Friendship Group. He's also a former defense minister. Join me as I talk with him about what he thinks of China's threat to Taiwan. Well, I think you must know, especially as a former defense minister, that China has been, you know, increasing its military threat uh, to Taiwan with a lot of uh, military airplanes. By the way, way, everyone has done so in in Asia. By the way, any country, all countries in in Asia have been increasing their military capacities. The dimension of China is most striking. So I'm curious what you think about the increased uh, military tensions between Taiwan and China. Do you think that the EU should help deter China from attacking Taiwan? I'm very moderate on my comments on this issue. What I can say is that, of course, as they are doing with all their neighbors, the Chinese uh, rulers want to show that they have a strong offensive capacity. And their public expressions from time to time tend to imply that they want to use it if necessary. But this doesn't mean 
that they have a real determination to use force on a conflict. It's one thing, you know, to send military vessels to disturb or disquiet fishing boats in the South China Sea. It's another thing to attack a neighbor country with full force. And in the case of Taiwan, they know better than I do that the U.S. considered this as a strategic flashing point. So my cautious personal appreciation is that they want to use these this demonstrations of force to try and influence the minds of the Chinese people, of the Taiwanese people and, and uh, Taiwanese authorities, that they know that they don't have the capacity to try and, and um, conquer militarily Taiwan without very, very deep consequences for themselves. Everyone knows that. I mean, it, it, there is no easy way for China to dominate militarily Taiwan. It would be a very, very hard confrontation, mm-hmm. and there would be other actors implied. So it could be seriously destabilizing for the rule of the Communist Party in China. So you think it's unlikely to happen? Exactly. You know, it was funny because just at their, the last day of our stay in, in, in Taiwan, where, of course, everyone was speaking with us, was, was uh, arguing with us on the, um, on the Chinese uh, threat, there was this declaration of President Xi Jinping saying we want the reunification by Pacific means. As, you know, the chairman of the Taiwan Friendship Group, where do you think Taiwan and France ties should be going? Should France be showing more support for Taiwan as it faces such a big threat from China? What do you want to see in French-Taiwan ties? What is more important from our point of view is, first, practical cooperation with many links, many concrete and human relations between Taiwanese people and French people, accomplishing in common some progress either in industry or in health or in in other fields of of research and in universities. Because we have, I think on both sides, many academic people who are interested in in enriching uh, each other. But on political links, our preference is to make more familiar, more frequent the discussions, the visits, between Taiwanese and French authorities, and to have wide consultation about the security issues in the whole area of what we call Indo-Pacific, because Mm -hmm. this implies many other powers between which we have an interest to be transparent. Well, that's great. I think it's wonderful that you came to visit Taiwan to show your support in that way, and that you also authored the first resolution about Taiwan in the Senate. Uh, which was passed unanimously, supporting Taiwan's participation in the WHO and other organizations. Do you see uh, French support for Taiwan growing among the public and and in the Senate? Yes, obviously, obviously. And so I've been called by many French media because uh, it was was an interest for them. They wanted to have news and and to be able to explain more about uh, present situation in Taiwan and and the perspectives, the the potential improvements that we can have together. 
And that was your third trip to Taiwan, right? So can that's, you tell me right, yes. your impression of Taiwan this third time? Well, it's, it's in good health, basically. And, well, as you know, the, the mastery of the pandemic has been spectacular, has been a factor, a first factor of positive light on Taiwan at the world level. But um, also the, the, the economic and industrial dynamic is also impressive. So that's why also I gave the message to my counterparts in, in Taiwan that we would be very, very appreciative if a little more uh, industrial investment from Taiwanese firms was done in, in France, was realized in France, because presently uh, the number of uh, French companies investing in, in Taiwan is much heavier than the opposite. So there is maybe some progress to be done on this side. Is there anything you'd like to say to the people of Taiwan? Go on like that. <laughs> Well, Senator Alain Richard, it's wonderful to be able to speak with you. Thank you so much for visiting Taiwan. We hope that you come again. And... I hope so. <laughs> of course, during our visit with our colleagues in the legislative ground, uh, we offered them a new invitation to come and visit us uh, next year. That's wonderful. So I'm glad to see exchanges between the Senates and the parliaments of Taiwan and France going strong. A lot has to do with your work. So thank you so much, yeah. uh, Senator. If they come to Paris, feel free to come with that. Uh, oh, sure. I would love to visit Paris. <laughs> that was French Senator Alain Huichard, who is the chairman of the French Senate's Taiwan Friendship Group. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Leslie Liao. Do you love Radio Taiwan International's English content and wish it would never end? Well, who said it has to? The fun doesn't have to stop here. Check out our website, or our Facebook, or our YouTube, or our Twitter. Go to en.rti.org.tw for the latest Taiwan news stories. Check out Radio Taiwan International on Facebook to see great pictures of Taiwan. Go to youtube.com slash RTI English to view some of our great features. And when you're done, tell us what you think on Twitter. Our handle is Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. What are you waiting for? I'm here waiting for your message. You're listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Shirley Lin. I'm going to bring you some highlights from the news in the past week in Taiwan. Uh, the ruling DPP, or Democratic Progressive Party, is calling on people to oppose the restarting of operations of the mothballed fourth nuclear power plant in an upcoming referendum. Tomasz Kapel has the story. A host of lawmakers descends on the site of the mothballed fourth nuclear power plant. Some seem to be terrified by what they see. After the visit, DPP legislators presented four reasons for their opposition to restarting construction of the plant. Those are proximity to a geological fault line, the age of the unfinished structure, possible shortages of components, and design flaws. 
The DPP has been vocal in its opposition to the project, urging voters to reject it in an upcoming referendum. They say even entrepreneurs who supported the project in the past are starting to privately switch sides. The KMT, meanwhile, supports restarting construction of the plant. Both sides invoke concerns about future economic development to bolster their arguments for and against the project. Both parties are mobilizing members and reopening channels of communication with voters which were temporarily shut due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The two sides seem to be digging in for an all-out campaign leading up to the referendum on December 18th. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. Recently, President Tsai Ing-wen attended the inauguration of several modernized F-16V fighter jets. Again, Tomasz Koper has the story. A sortie of four F-16Vs flies over the Jai Air Base time after time, leaving a ground-shaking roar in its wake. But that's not all these planes can do. Pilots showcase the maneuverability of the new machines with tight turns and rolls which subject the planes and their pilots to extreme forces. Immediately afterwards, the planes are combat-ready again. This is the world's first full tactical fighter group using the new F-16V multi-role fighters. Preparations were originally scheduled to finish in March, but because of the COVID pandemic and an accident involving two F-5E jets earlier this year, the process was delayed for almost eight months. President Tsai Ing-wen attended the inaugural ceremony and inspected the modernized unit personally. A variety of weapon systems were displayed under the wings of the aircraft, from air-to-air and air-to-ground ordnance to harpoon missiles capable of striking Chinese naval vessels. President Tsai said that this cooperation between Taiwanese and U.S. defense industries is not only an extension of the friendship between the two countries, but also a symbol of mutual commitments. She said the new planes represent a big improvement in stealth and long-range capabilities of the Air Force. The biggest improvements that the F-16V brings to the table are the ASA radar system, a modernized mission computer, new instruments and a new head-up display. Other upgrades include the landing gear, which offers better stability under a range of conditions. Next in line for upgrade is Hualien's 5th Tactical Fighter Wing, which should see its older F-16s refurbished before 2023. Taiwan will also buy 66 planes of the newest variant from the US, bringing their total number to 200. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. Did you know that if you were to clean off the bottom parts of garlic cloves, of all the dirt and the roots, then the cloves would stay fresh and dry longer? Well, some experts in Taiwan invented a machine for doing the job, because if you were to do it by hand, you would have sore wrists for a long time to come. Taiwan produced more than 41,000 metric tons of garlic in the last five years on close to 4,500 hectares of land. Yunlin County produces the biggest share at 92%. However, in order to keep garlic cloves dry and fresh, you have to trim the roots, which otherwise store moisture and can attract bugs. The hours it takes using scissors to trim the roots are tiring on the hands and wrists. This year, though, the Agricultural Research and Extension Station in Tainan has invented a machine that can trim 36 metric tons of garlic cloves in one hour. By hand, it's only possible to trim two metric tons in the same amount of time. The invention is smaller in size and easier to assemble than similar gadgets created in other countries. And it's cheaper, too. The patented garlic grinder is a savior for garlic farmers in Taiwan. Its inventors hope it will soon make its way into the international market.
Recently, Taiwan has really made a mark in the world with its democratic values. Like now, Taiwan is invited to the Summit of Democracy to be hosted by U.S. President Joe Biden in December. Taiwan's Digital Minister Audrey Tang and Taiwan's representative to the United States Xiaobi Kim will both be there. U.S. President Joe Biden will call a summit for democracy in December, and it is said Taiwan is on the list of invitees. The American Institute in Taiwan has alluded to Taiwan's participation in the summit in a recent press release. They say Taiwan can contribute to topics like countering authoritarianism, fighting corruption, and advancing human rights. DPP legislator Luo Zizheng says discretion is the name of the game for the time being. He believes there will be a good plan for how and who will participate in the summit. The KMT's Chen Yixin, meanwhile, says that his party supports Taiwan's greater participation, but it is too early to say if President Tsai will really receive an invitation. Taiwan isn't sitting idly waiting for an invitation to discuss democracy, though. Earlier this week, a Taiwanese delegation led by Deputy Foreign Minister Chen Houren took part in the third annual U.S.-Taiwan consultations on democratic governance in the Indo-Pacific region. Cheng said that Taiwan is at the forefront of resistance against authoritarianism and plays an important role in safeguarding global democracy. According to the American Institute in Taiwan, the U.S. and Taiwan discussed commitments for next year at the consultations. These include support for transparent governance, countering disinformation, and using Taiwan to promote democracy. On Thursday, meanwhile, local politicians gathered in Vilnius, Lithuania, for the opening ceremony of Taiwan's newest representative office abroad. Lithuania's economy and innovation minister Ausrinia Armonaitie tweeted that Lithuania was happy this day had come. The first head of an independent Lithuanian parliament, Vytautas Landsbergis, aged 89, also attended the opening of the first representative office in Europe to bear the name Taiwan. The shared values of democracy and freedom allow Taiwan to expand its international space in the face of Chinese pressure. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. For some reason, some fishermen in Jiayi County have hauled in bigger-than-usual catch of mullet. And you know, mullet is prized for its roe, which is a delicacy when cured around Chinese New Year's Eve dinners. That's coming up in a little more than two months' time. Fishers in Jiayi County pull nets of today's catch from the water. The bins around them are also filled to the brim with fish, the highly prized flathead gray mullet. The catch belongs to Mr. Chen, but there is so much of it that he has to ask for assistance. He can't help but grin with glee looking at his sudden windfall. On Wednesday morning, Mr. Chen managed to catch around 4,000 mullet in the waters just outside Budai Harbor, setting a new record. The fishers say their catch is usually nowhere near this bountiful. The fish are plump and healthy with a large percentage of females. Those are especially prized for their roe, which, when cured, becomes a Taiwanese delicacy known as wuyuzi, not dissimilar to the Mediterranean botarga. The peak of mullet fishing season is still a month away, so where did this bounty come from? Well, scientists say it might be related to changes in the oceans, which caused the fish to migrate early. Mr. Chen, on the other hand, is just happy at his sudden stroke of luck. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. With rising consumer prices around the world, one thing that's going to be hit hard in Taiwan by the global inflation will be my one and only comfort food, instant noodles. I mean, really, when I'm feeling under the weather or simply don't have an appetite for anything else, that's the only thing that can really still make its way into my stomach somehow. 
Grocery store workers take advantage of the early hours to restock packs of instant noodles. That's because Taiwanese people love the stuff, consuming over 800 million packages of instant noodles every year. Unfortunately, this year, amid rising prices worldwide, Taiwanese consumers are going to have to shell out a little more to get their instant noodle fix. Several major instant noodle brands have announced price increases. On average, each brand is raising their cost by about 10%. However, not all brands are giving into the inflation trend, which is fueled by raw material shortages and supply chain issues. Taiwan Tobacco and Liquor says that a popular instant noodle label it puts out won't see a price hike until at least the end of the year. Customers are having a hard time accepting such prevalent price hikes, but it's hard to fight back against economics. Officials say that inflation will ease off next year, but it's hard to tell if people's bank accounts can hold out for that long. Leslie Liao, RTI News. The weather here has turned cold in Taiwan. As we really don't get much snow in the winter, Taiwanese people would be crazy enough to travel and see snow at the first announcement of snow on any of our high mountains. They wouldn't care about the bad traffic. They wouldn't care about the long, tedious climb up the mountains in their cars and getting these snow chains for their tires, even if they're only used once in the whole year. Emma Benek has the story. The peaks of He Huanshan are covered in fog and light rain, but not the snowfall that many visitors were hoping for. Some tourists say they got up at the crack of dawn to drive up to these peaks. Although people certainly feel chilly, even under their winter coats, the temperature still hasn't dropped enough to bring any snowflakes. It's important for visitors who travel to these mountains to remember that even when there may not be snow, roads and trails can still get icy and slippery. These peaks are over 3,000 meters above sea level, so they're the best chance these visitors have to get a glimpse of some pure white snow. However, the people were disappointed that the temperature only dropped to 6 degrees Celsius during the day, so it looks like they're out of luck this time. Still, they shouldn't give up hope for the rest of the season. Temperatures will continue to drop and the mountains may turn into a winter wonderland in the near future. Emma Banak, RTI News. For some reason, more and more people in Taiwan are owning pets. I'm just guessing that it's because we've been cooped up so much indoors for most of the COVID pandemic that people, especially those who live alone, are looking to pets for comfort and company. But the government has first to do something about the no pets policy at some residential areas around Taiwan, which has been in the discussion for actually more than a decade now, but to no avail. Pets have become more and more popular in Taiwan. They're a lovable member of many families. But some of Taiwan's laws still don't take this into account. Miss Lee moved into her apartment this year, and her landlord agreed to let her dog live with her. But after signing the lease, the apartment complex's management proposed a no-pet policy. Miss Lee is worried that if they pass the policy, she won't be able to keep her dog. Animal protection groups and lawmakers say there are too many pet owners with the same dilemma. They say the no pets policy is unconstitutional as it restricts people's freedom and rights. They said rules for managing pets should be put forward instead of banning pets in a complex. Several lawmakers promised to support animal protection groups and to vie for a quick amendment to the law so that pets will be welcome in their homes. Well, that's it for this week's news playlist. I'm Shirley Lin, and do join me next week with other highlights in the news coming out of Taiwan.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.